0: We have to go back! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today we are reviewing the 1990 movie
1: Flatliners. This movie poster for the 2017 version is all over my neighborhood. <laughs> It's like it's running for mayor. It could be because I live down the street from the studio making it, but it's it's in my mind.
0: Yeah, no, I I was expecting this movie to be uh way bigger because like most remakes, like there's some kind of following or some kind of like box office significance and like we'll get into this a little bit later, but like This was just the movie that was made. It wasn't like, oh, this groundbreaking film. Uh, But we'll get into that later. Uh, But yes, in honor of the new Flatliners being made in 2017, in case you're listening to this, in the future. Future. uh, How was it? (laughs) uh, We're reviewing the original, uh, starring Julia Roberts, Kiefer Sutherland, and Kevin Bacon. With William Baldwin and Oliver Platt. No, no, I didn't. Those guys aren't. They aren't. Okay. (laughs) So they are in the movie, but every other version, like if you look on uh, Amazon, like that's how I watched it on Amazon, it's just a movie poster with just, (laughs) just the three of them. Kiefer Sutherland, Kevin Bacon, and Julia Roberts. The other guys are not on the poster. Tough sledding. Oh, man. In case you haven't seen the original Flatliners... Which I assume you haven't. Um, Flatliners, the original, is about five medical students who experiment on near-death experiences that involve past tragedies until the dark consequences begin to jeopardize their
1: lives. It's actually spelled out with that cadence as well. Capital I, lowercase i, capital Mm -hmm. I, lowercase i, V-E-S. Yep. That's the one. (laughs) Yep. Let's get into...
0: A little bit of history. Uh, so this movie came out in, like we said,
1: 1990. What a year to be alive, or not?
0: <gasps> Funny you should say that, Grayson. Um, in 1990, apparently everyone was obsessed with the afterlife. Um, really? in 1990, Ghost came out, Jacob's Ladder came out, and so did Flatliners. All movies dealing with the afterlife. Um, and the concept after death, and it was just like, uh, it was It was a lot. <laughs> it was
1: a lot to choose from. And um, in 1991, just the year after that, the Albert Brooks Meryl Streep comedy Defending Your Life came out, which, if oh. you haven't seen that, is hilarious, and we should do it on the podcast. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yes, the early 90s, obsessed with death. Absolutely. So... Um, Joel Schumacher,
0: in an interview in 1990, said that Flatliners is a story about atonement and forgiveness involving these students who, in a sense, violate the gods and pay a price. I think we would all like to know what's in store for us after we die, and there have been thousands of reports from all over the world from those who have encountered near-death experiences, and most of them have reported pleasant experiences. Our movie, however, is saying that you're not to tamper with death. If there's anything we're supposed to learn about it, it will be revealed when we die. The movie did uh, pretty well. Uh, it had a budget of about twenty six million dollars, and it made uh, sixty one million dollars in the U S. And it was a fall movie, so you know it came out August uh, of nineteen ninety. So it di- it did okay. Like it wasn't. It didn't have any sequels. It didn't have any spinoffs or anything like that, except for uh, the revival. Of the series, which is happening now in 2017. Which, I'm told, is a continuation of this story.
1: Yep. Kiefer Sutherland uh, reprises his role. Same yeah. same character.
0: Yeah, there's a little teaser trailer that had him in it. He looks like how I would have imagined all these people would have looked like. Ooh, that's a great aesthetic. I'll save that for uh, Headcanon Recast and Remake. Um, So yes, the movie did moderately well and um people enjoyed it from what i can tell uh there's not like a ton about like the making of the story other than uh, certain creative choices that they made um and the response was just i mean it was, it was good it's like it's one of those movies where people are like oh wow that was a good movie to see all right let's just continue on life living before we get into our reaction of the movie, uh, I want to give you guys a few fun facts because they do have some. Uh, in this movie, I was like, oh, wow, they have baby face Kevin Bacon. Apparently, he just had a really young face. Kevin Bacon was 32 when he was making this movie, and he looked young. He was 32, and he looked like a college student.
1: I mean, there are 32-year-old college students. Yeah, yeah. So I've heard, yes.
0: Um, that's what everyone thought I was when I was on campus at the ripe young age of 17 (laughs) Um, lighting plays a very big role in some of the foreshadowing and kind of like what the scene is going to be about A deep orange was used to uh, show a sign of positivity or lightness and blue usually meant that Kiefer Sutherland was about to get whooped by a kid (laughs) Um, and that something bad was going to happen Val Kilmer was the first choice for Nelson, but he said, you know what? I'm just going to wait until I can be Batman again. And uh, last little fun fact. uh, In the original script, Rachel's original sin was that she had an affair with one of her professors and then blackmailed him. Um, But the studio did not want to ruin the nice girl image of Julia Roberts. So, her a sin or her guilt is that she is traumatized by her father's suicide so that was changed due to executive meddling
1: but i do like that hers wasn't sexual in nature because i feel like that's the easy thing to throw at the basically only female character that's consistent through the whole movie Uh, yeah so ultimately a stronger choice
0: Oh yeah, definitely.
1: So this kind of bleeds into reactions, but one of the things I found most striking were the sets, uh, which I thought they were all practical locations. There's a huge th- this movie shot very wide, which is unique for a thriller. Um, so you get to take in this very interesting architecture and setting. Um, a lot of it was a set built on a sound stage, which blew my mind that they constructed something that big. Um, without just shooting on location um so yeah that that was interesting you mentioned the lights they also because they were on a sound stage able to uh position lights and floor grates to uh kind of shine up into their faces to represent like light or flames coming from hell all these different motifs while the angels look down on them um but yeah the the locations to me were, were uh very interesting i was surprised to find out that they were uh largely sound stages yeah i
0: i really was just i i thought that the lighting and the sets like did a really good job at like substituting for special effects um mm-hmm. My wife and I were kind of just joking, like, oh, this is a really foggy hallway. But we just knew that they were, like, setting the tone and the ambiance. But I thought that was really cool because I don't think that is done a lot now. I think nowadays it would probably be more literal with just, like, oh, no, now they are literally in this other place. But using lighting and the other other, uh, sound design to, like, represent, like, where these guys were uh, really was solid. Uh, And I really thought that that was... It was good. It's good to see that kind of practical effect.
1: It was interesting, too, how there were some artifacts from the afterlife that you would then see in the real world where it kind of made you guess whether or not they were actually going there or just influenced by stuff around them. A uh, primary example is Kevin Bacon, when he first enters the afterlife, sees um, a mountain range, like a snowy mountain range, and then you see that in his apartment... Uh, above his bed, there's just like a poster of a snowy mountain oh. range, and you're like, "Well, is he actually going there, or is he just is it like a dream where you're incorporating elements that are usually around you? Oh, that's good, yeah, and like Julia like Roberts that. is always stepping over tambourines throughout the whole movie,
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I guess since we're already officially into reactions, we're in reactions, um. I I was really surprised by this film because when I first saw the trailer in theaters, I was like, oh, they're remaking Flatliners. And it made it seem like it was more of a sci-fi movie than what I feel like this movie is, which um, I felt like it was more like a supernatural slash um a character story like i felt like it was more like about these characters kind of like coming to peace with you know the afterlife basically like that's like the journey that they mm-hmm. were on but
1: the it felt more like inception it... than anything
0: yeah oh absolutely that's a that's a good example yeah i felt more like that than anything else so i think my expectations going into it was uh different I, I was like okay so when's it gonna get like super sci-fi and then they're like oh no this is what this is about i'm like oh okay okay cool and that again it was like the whole thing that i'm just like where where is the thing that was gonna make it like the ah oh, this is the month this is the movie that people have been waiting 20 years for
1: yeah i what i really appreciated about the movie is that they didn't stray from the premise they just raised the stakes each act And like you were saying, they don't have to spice it up. They don't have to do that. It's like, yeah, you're going to kill him the same way every time with the exception of the very end where he kind of goes rogue on it. Um, But, like, the process is going to be the same. It's going to be hard to bring him back. The thing that we're going to raise the stakes on is the time, which those are, like, the most stressful scenes to me. Not even when they are under, but when they're, like betting each other be like well i could go four minutes well i could go four and a half five and i'm like no stop stop it um and then to figure out that oh you're bringing stuff back with you um and what does that mean and you start to piece together what that actually means it felt like it was true to the initial premise without being a bait and switch on what i signed up to watch when i rented this movie from itunes yeah yeah <laughs> All right, Grayson. Now it's time to head into
0: my favorite segment of the show. It's where we
1: head on over to Head Cannon. Head Cannon. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi. Breathe. <laughs> Sorry,
0: a what really comes weird... next?
1: <laughs> I forget.
0: Um, head Cannon is the part of the show where we share with you. Our unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Um, My biggest piece of headcanon is that uh, this movie is tied into the same world as both Casper and... Actually, no, it was originally Casper. And then I was like, oh yeah, so these are like, they're bringing back like ghosts, like actual ghosts from their past. Um, and then, uh, Kevin Bacon's whole experience was like, no, it's just your experience. Like, that, like, that thing is manifesting itself. I'm like, oh, well, dang. Um, uh, <laughs> so the unfinished business piece didn't work, but what did work was Six Sense. Because I do think it was a spectrum. I think Billy Mahoney was, like, an actual, like spirit that was just not okay with how things went down yeah he only uh,
1: existed for the period of filming um he couldn't be at the premiere because <laughs> he, he was vapor
0: the yeah. kid really well, did like
1: embody that role it was insane
0: yeah i mean it went from like these small moments where um suspension of disbelief was just a little out there just because it's just like oh Kiefer sutherland you are jack bauer You're getting beat up by a kid to, like, oh no, uh, Billy Mahoney is gonna kill this guy. Um, And then, like, anyway, so, like, I think that that kind of interaction, it only happened with um, him. But Julia Roberts' character's father, Mm -hmm. I think he did interact with her, but differently because he was more of a mourning spirit, not a vengeful spirit. and so I think that it's in that same kind of world, and I do think that um, it exists in the same uh, Sixth Sense universe because I think the ghosts um, or the spirits like interact the same way.
1: You know what? I'll I'll give you credit for that too because whenever Kiefer comes back the first time, and they go to that that restaurant. Uh, he's wrapped up in a blanket, and the other ones don't seem to be cold at all. But they establish in sixth sense that when you get near death, the air around you becomes chilled. So yeah, that makes sense. Oh yeah, that makes sixth sense. Ho ho! What about you? So uh, my head cannon, oh, I let me do this. I had head cannon prepared, but halfway through the movie. And by the end of it, it had been disproved by the movie. Um, So my initial headcanon around the time that Kevin Bacon's character went under, I believe, was that uh, I I noticed that there were children involved in a lot of the the different ones. So in Kiefer's, obviously, there's a lot of kids in Kiefer's uh, experience. Um, In Billy Baldwin, he went second very bizarre experience but at the beginning of that if you remember there are like girls in it or kids. So I was like, okay, interesting. There's kids in both these and then um yeah, whenever uh whenever Kevin Bacon goes under he uh the bunch of kids on the playground as well. And then it was continued with Julia Roberts, like you see the the kid there. Um by the time I got to Julia Roberts it was my head cannon was really starting to crumble. But what I was thinking was that what they are seeing are glimpses of the children they will be reincarnated into when they die. So they were actually seeing glimpses oh. of the future. I was way off. I, I couldn't <laughs> have been more wrong. So I was like, okay, there's an idea, but it, it's definitely incorrect. And so the reason they were being hostile, I, I think I think when I latched into it is whenever... Um, whenever Kevin Bacon's uh, like ghost is antagonizing him on the train, um, I was like, oh, they're being resistant because uh, it's not their time to like take their place yet. Uh, yeah, again, just totally wrong. So I scrambled for a different headcanon, Had the thought that the five of them, because Oliver Platt never went under, they wanted to do, to do one collective experience, and they had. Uh, somebody that was looking over them um, in this case, probably that somebody would have been um, actor Paul Gleason uh, because you may know him better as uh, vice principal Vernon in the breakfast club. And when they all went under together, they just became the breakfast club <laughs> because there's five people uh, that are students in Chicago. That's the only connection. Um, But picture like an Inception-type group submersion, and the result of that is this shared afterlife of the Breakfast Club, where instead of purgatory, they're in detention.
0: Wow, that's uh, that's very solid. We were definitely flatliners. Don't you forget about me.
1: (laughs) Hey, guys, do you think we're all going to be friends after med school? (laughs)
0: So, you might look at us and you might think that we're a med student, a med student, a med student, a med student. student.
1: And Oliver Platt.
0: (laughs) We are Flatliners. Oh, man. All right, now we're going to dive into recast and remakes. Now, let's just say that someone wanted to remake this movie. Um, Who would you cast and... What would the storyline be? Now, here's my thing. My guess would be that they would plan for it to be a franchise because it's 2017 and why wouldn't they? What I would love to see for every time that they do flatline, like their hair gets like white a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Like just like a streak of white hair Mm -hmm. uh, happens. And like the more like the more they flatline, like the more they have streaks because... Um, the footage that we have seen of Kiefer Sutherland, his whole hair is white. Now, granted, that's just probably age, um, but I would like to think that that's due to his
1: exposure to like the afterlife kind of thing. Again, that's consistent with the Sixth Sense because Haley Joel Osment's character gets the shock of white hair um, from the trauma he experiences with death.
0: Yeah, so I think that that would be a really cool element just like storyline-wise. Um, also, I would love it if they changed it to... Um, like, I, I think that this would serve really well as like an animated series, just a little bit different where you have these, you have this kid who can go between, um, the, like being alive and then also being dead at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, and we just call him Danny Phantom, Danny Phantom, live action
1: movie, (laughs) make it happen people. What if Danny Phantom had to medically kill himself every time he did that? (laughs) Uh, That show never would have been successful. It would be a different show entirely. So I don't know if mine's recasting as much as it is just rebooting the concept in a different way, instead of flatliners, it'd be called punchliners, and it's a comedy. <laughs> the script is basically the same, though, just cast with funny people. Um, so and, Kevin and they Bacon. Have die. They have to die yeah. on stage. I'm to- <laughs> dying up here, literally. So Kevin Bacon would be uh, played by Jason Sudeikis. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland would be Jesse Eisenberg. William Baldwin would be Alec Baldwin. Uh, Oliver Platt would be (laughs) Seth Rogen. And Julia Roberts would be Jenny Slate. And they're just a bunch of funny people uh, dying.
0: Uh, Comedically, though, right? Or do
1: you mean like same exact? Same exact script. Take take the concept (laughs) of Judd Apatow's funny people and combine it with Schumacher's flatliners and you get punchliners. I don't, I don't see the problem. I, <laughs> I love it. And then the tagline would be, love it. death is a funny thing. Oh,
0: man, that should be really good. Yeah.
1: Did we have people that voted on our cast last time?
0: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so um, he's made an appearance before, but uh, at VGC Kenny um, made another really cool fan cast. Uh, And actually gave like a really cool storyline as well. So here it is. It's several tweets. So yeah. And so this is for um, our review of Wild Wild West. So thank you, uh, VGC Kenny, for continuing to keep this conversation going. Uh, So he said, I was thinking that Wild Wild West could be more Kingsman-like and have Jaden Smith play the role of Jim West being recruited by an Artemis. Uh, played by Matthew McConaughey, to a secret spy organization. And while it seems like Artemis was part of the Confederate Army, he was actually a double agent sent by Lincoln in his spy organization to bring down the Confederacy, but failed when his former partner Loveless, played by Nick Cage, (laughs) turned on the mission to join the South. Loveless started the betrayal by killing a fugitive slave that Artemis and him were escorting who was Jim's mother. Jim's dad, played by Will Smith, escaped and doesn't trust Artemis afterwards. After the South lost, Loveless went into hiding but now has come back with his spider bots to start the Neo-Confederate movement, and it's up to Jim and Artemis to stop Loveless and save the day.
1: I love that so much. I love that. That's great, right? Yeah, that's awesome. You know what? I also love that this podcast has become Nick Cage fan fiction.
0: <laughs> I mean, if we if we weren't going to be, I mean, I feel like we would have to end way sooner than you know. Me.
1: We would be remiss as content creators <laughs> if we didn't just let that happen. It, that's really what <laughs> this has all has been building towards.
0: Absolutely. Uh, thank you again, uh, James. Uh, At uh, VGCKinney on Twitter. (laughs) Um, Honestly, someone who I think would be really good in a remake is Devin Sawa. Um, Just so we can see um, him in yet another movie where he's fighting death. Because he was in Final Destination. And Casper. Boom! Um, I would love to see a sequel. Like an actual sequel. Um... Where uh they team up with the Ghostbusters. Uh just like Mm -hmm. the shared universe is just like, oh well, you crossed over. It's just like, oh, well, like the Ghost just have no, just the cast of Ghostbusters. Never mind. Ghostbusters like make a Ghostbusters prequel and it's just (laughs) (laughs) Flatliners.
1: Da 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 theme from Flatliners.
0: All right, so now we're going to go ahead and go into our final segment, which is giving you our reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend the 1990s Flatliners?
1: First of all, it's a stacked cast from fairly early in a lot of their careers. Uh, So it's really interesting to look at uh, from that perspective. But what I really appreciated about it was just how tight the script was and the structure of it. There's uh, an idea that we may have talked about before um, where – You want to start a story as late as possible while still having all the pieces to be able to build organically. If you notice, there's no scene where he's explaining to all of them what his plan is. We pick it up on the day that they're going to do the thing. He's already talked to them. We don't need to get that kind of exposition because we're going to see what the plan is when they actually do the procedure. That's really well done. Because of that, we're able to jump into the action much faster, uh, raise the stakes along the way, and you have a, a more fulfilling arc rather than wasting so much time up front with exposition, or unneeded exposition. Another thing I appreciate is it's a very clear three-act structure through this thing. Uh, it, it's actually, like, literally the the metaphor that are, that's used for a three-act structure, where you say you chase someone up the tree, you throw rocks at your character in the tree and then you somehow get your character out of the tree. That literally is what is happening. Um, and that's like an, an old writing adage that you see applied here. But yeah, that's that's uh, like the clear three acts that they have. And it's not a metaphor. It's literal in this case. Um, and then uh, lastly, the, the arcs. The, the character arcs make it really worth watching to see how can you take a character that... Says, I am staunchly an atheist and don't believe in any of this. And by the end of it, he has a total reversal on his perspective. Or someone who, every career decision they've made, every personal choice they've made, like in the case of Julia Roberts, just racked by guilt, wanting to know if there's more to the afterlife where she can connect with her dad and have a resolution, she finds that. And they're able to do that for four out of five of the characters, I'd say you could make a case that Oliver Platt reaches that too, because his main thing, we we haven't talked as much about him, but I think his main thing is that he is so self-absorbed that he, he's on that, that uh, recorder all the time. He clearly thinks highly of his own genius. By the end of it, he's more concerned about everybody else's life than his own. Um, and is, willing to like stick by everyone even if it means sacrificing his career and his livelihood um, and going to jail even so uh, he even experiences change so they're five for five for telling like actual arcs for characters um, who start in one position experience doubt along the way reach the the pinnacle of their struggle in this scenario and then come out the other side uh, really just well done. Um, so I recommend it for that reason. That's great.
0: Yeah, I would say this movie is really interesting because I'd recommend it because it's like it's a it's a great Joel Schumacher film. Uh, I know a lot of people associate him with ruining Batman, um, but he um, he really does know how to tell great great stories, especially great ensemble character stories, um, and he he did a good job at like taking this premise that I think has the potential to, I think the concept has the uh, potential to get in the way of itself. Um, Mm -hmm. But he doesn't allow that to happen. It's a really a cool story about just exploring, like, Hey, what would characters, like how would these characters react if they had these near death experiences on purpose? And let's explore like what that would mean for these people. And what, what lesson can they learn through that? um and i Mm -hmm. think that that's i think it's really is a it's a great character story like throughout um and and also like you know seeing Kiefer sutherland not save the world um was a great (laughs) change of pace for me um and just seeing all these other actors in like the 90s like super early 90s where it's basically the 80s um but yeah it's 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 a, it's a good watch, and especially if you're, you know, prepped to see the next one, you kind of get get your uh, get your throwback.
1: Yeah, and if you're on the cusp, a lot of what we talked about it uh, with this movie was very writing based, um, so you can uh, take solace in the fact that uh, the writer uh, Peter Filardi is also accredited for the story of the new Flatliners as well. So that's promising. That's promising. Ooh. I'm not going to promise anything, but that's promising.
0: <laughs> so that is our review of the 1990s Flatliners. Let us know if you've seen the original Flatliners on Instagram or Twitter. In both places, we are at Flashback Flicks. And uh, please leave us a review of what you thought of this podcast that you're listening to right now. If you open up the podcast app on Apple Podcasts, uh, search for flashback flicks podcast and click on the the words that say that name and then leave us a review on a scale of one to five uh, it would really help us out
1: Could be like one to five mississippi breathes <laughs>
0: <laughs> and be sure to tune in next time right here on the flashback flicks retro movie podcast until then remember to be kind and rewind